0: Hey friends, it is Holy Week, and I'm a pastor, which means I'm spending time on preparing for it, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of you are preparing for Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter Day. I like calling it the Christian Passover because I don't like Easter, and that's a whole other thing. But uh, I felt like I needed to put something else out. We're at 970 subscribers. I wanted to get to 1,000 I'd like to get more than that, but I just think I'm I'm excited to get to a thousand. So thanks to those of you who have subscribed. If you haven't subscribed yet, then if you like what we do here, uh, consider subscribing here in a bit. Um, The whole point of this channel, Plain Spoken, is a project I began to try and make sense of the United Methodist Church from a conservative perspective. My hope is that conservatives watch this and go, "Yeah, you know, this is this is a helpful way to to frame things." Uh, I'm not. I'm a little reactionary, but I'm not emotional, you know, so I think it's good just for us to be able to talk about what we believe, what we don't believe, why, and kind of turn the temperature down uh, in a very high-intensity situation right now. Uh, I also hope liberals watch this just to kind of understand how conservative brains work uh, so that we're not talking past one another And um, I'm I'm wanting to have some conversations with liberal, progressive, left-leaning people. So if you know of anybody that you think could do that well, without name-calling or drama, uh, go ahead and connect me with them. I'd like to have—I'd like to do that. I think that'd be good for everybody. I'd like to think that I could do it well. That's not what this is. Today, um, I I didn't have a lot of time for homework and conversations. Me and TJ are just hanging out in the studio— And I've been wanting to kind of go down the line and and talk about um, things said that kind of fit with, um, I I, I have this article pulled up by John Lomperis, why United Methodist tolerance of conservatives will be impossible. And of course, he put this out in January, but um, when we're looking at the leadership of the United Methodist Church, in particular the bishops, they often uh, show their sentiments for how they think about people like me, and if you're conservative, what they think about you. In this article, he goes down, he makes, I think, three major points. The first being the United Methodist uh, promises of tolerance for conservatives are logically and pragmatically unsustainable, and he talks about why that is. You can read this, we'll put the link to this article on the show notes. Um, The second point is leaders of the new United Methodist church already refuse to extend basic tolerance to conservative believers. And then the third point he makes is liberal United Methodist leaders have already made clear their extreme alienation of affection from traditionalists. So you'll see, as a lot of um, links there, I, uh, I know that we're probably going to talk about Mr. Lomperis, the uh, author of this article, in a bit because um, we, we have five different clips of bishops talking. TJ has selected these. Um, I've got him on the camera and the microphone today so that he can represent why it is that we're we're looking at him. I did supply this first clip uh, because I've been meaning to talk about it for forever. But um, anyway, TJ and I are going to talk about what the takeaways from this are, why it is that these are um, perhaps illuminating about the the current moment. So if you're unfamiliar with this, uh, I'll try and introduce each each, uh, bishop uh, or TJ when he introduces a, a clip' we'll, we'll say what's important about that we'll watch each one we'll kind of talk about what what we gather from each and that'll really be it so if you've if you've not gotten a lot of exposure to bishops this these are not emblematic of all of them it's not like all of them have been this unguarded um, but they are emblematic of what we think what I think are going to be the dominant voices in leadership after uh after a bit. So um, if you hear anything in the background, don't worry about it. It's just our lawnmower back here. All right, so let's go ahead and, and look at our first clip. TJ, this is Bishop Julius Trimble. He's the bishop of Indiana, where John Lomperis, I, I think, is based. He's, he's been pretty clear. He actually wrote an article after this saying how uh, inappropriate it is, obviously, that his own bishop would badmouth him publicly rather than speaking to him privately first, um, but this, this, uh, this clip lines out Trimble having a problem with Lomperis and why.
1: There have been too many lies being told, too much, too much disparaging and labeling and peddling of fear. And to be honest, friends, while my grace runs short when people who are serving faithfully are reduced to labels and subjected to peddling and fear on YouTube and Facebook with messaging that is truncated talking points, laced with falsehood and stereotypes, I am reminded that God's grace is sufficient. But there's too much good being done to be distracted or to be detoured from our witness and from our message. Whether it's the WCA, the GMC, the ABC, or the LMT, LMT meaning Lamperis and men like that, we must continue to remember that our main mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ and transform the world with the love of Jesus Christ.
0: All right, so uh, had I shown that to you before, TJ? I don't
2: think I've actually seen that, no. I, that, was, that was one that I had not seen. Well, he, he may have. I just don't remember it, honestly. There's, yeah, there's we, a a go of, we go through a lot. We go through a lot of,
0: a lot of videos. Yeah, you you're pretty good about spending your spare time looking these things up and the next one is from you. But what what's the takeaway? Do you find any takeaways from that Trimble clip I just showed you?
2: Uh, it's uh, one of the things that you brought up is he just does not make a lot of like specific accusations. It's like, "Oh, these guys are saying certain things that uh, I don't agree with, but he doesn't actually say. It's just all misinformation and I he just doesn't actually like specifically say stuff." And that's that's I mean, as always 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 bothered you and it's, it bothers me too like it's if somebody's saying something incorrect or false say specifically what it is and who it is that's saying it i think that's helpful if, if you're yeah. not then it's not
0: he has a list of things uh, i remember truncated talking points he talks about fear mongering he talks about and the the thing about accusing people of fear-mongering, like Paris would say, yeah, people should be afraid, you know, um, and here's why. Let's talk about what's happening at uh, Duke University or ILIF. Let's talk about what's happening in these struggle sessions at the annual conference level. And um, But the thing is, one, Lomperis does not make anything truncated. He writes these long articles, and then they have dozens of hyperlinks to other articles. Uh, but two, you know, to say that someone is fear-mongering is to— Essentially, uh, gaslight them, saying they're trying to tell you that you should be afraid of something that you really shouldn't be afraid of, and I, I just don't think that's helpful. I, I think the helpful thing is to say, "Look, they're saying you should be afraid of this, and here's why you shouldn't be." And I have seen some people try and do that. Not many bishops. The bishops really generally have seemed to be quite dismissive of anyone's saying, "Y'all should be afraid. <laughs> you should, you should get out of here quickly." Um, and I. I'm generally frustrated with bishops who just put it all out in the ether and they don't even attach any names to it. At least Bishop Trimble here attached a name to it, Paris, and men like that. He thought he was pretty clever making a little acronym with it. But when you're going to level a specific accusation at a specific person, then I think it's incumbent to then say, okay, here's like this article that he wrote. I think he makes this point, and I think that's way overblown. And I don't know why it is that Bishop Trimble would have the energy— to bring him up personally but then not make the case as to why it is that he's a bad faith conversation partner. And it also seems he only t- brings out, calls out one person by name and it's not Tom Lambrecht, yeah. Mark Tooley. it's not the guys uh, it's only the one guy on the national stage in his annual conference which just seems particularly petty to me. I think that's the only reason he would do it is this is the one that's in our conference and I don't yeah, like he's just him close to him. So he
2: like, Oh, this guy's around here. Let's talk about him, but not say anything specifically
0: about what he said. Yeah. It's just, it's weird. Whatever. It's weird. Whatever. I think that's a good, good place to leave that one on. Okay. So what's the next one we got? I see that Oliveto is in the, the title.
2: So, yeah. So the next two are from uh, Bishop Karen Oliveto. Um, she's in the Western jurisdiction um, and she is in the, Mountain Sky Annual Conference. Um, She's uh, been a bishop since 2016, um, and she's the openly lesbian bishop, the first open lesbian Mm -hmm. bishop. Uh, This first video, um, you actually brought up in your interview with, uh, uh, Robert.
0: No, it wasn't, was it Robert? I did an interview with the guy that complained against her, filed okay, the charge well, who against her. It was Robert
2: her? Barnes. I was thinking, yeah, the, the, the yeah. uh,
0: DePolo interview. Okay,
2: so Robert, yeah, Robert Barnes. He the uh, the video in the video you brought up and he brought up as well um, the divinity of Jesus. She right. she had made a comment in one of her uh, preaching clips. Um, I don't remember who it was to or, or exactly. it was on a
0: blog. Was it? That, yeah, it was a blog that was since removed after he filed the charge, or maybe before oh. that they were making a stink out of it. But it was on a personal blog that she had. Okay. Well, and I'm, she probably gave the sermon in person, but there's have, not I've... video of it. Yeah, I.
2: The in the, in the video, I don't know if, if if I actually cut it out or not, but the, the lady says something about preaching. But right. regardless, wherever it's from, she questions. It seems to that she questions the divinity of Jesus and doesn't act, expound on it. In this video, um, she's answering questions and one of the questions she's asked is, okay, do you actually believe in the divinity of Jesus? Somebody brought this up um, what do you actually believe and she addresses that so we'll,
3: okay.
4: we'll go into that. okay, here we go. You've been pastoring for quite a while and I'm sure there are plenty of messages you've given and at times um, you know i've I've given quite a few messages myself so I may or may not remember exactly how I worded something but there is a message out there that you uh, gave that is sometimes brought up in some sources and, and has led people to ask if you believe in the divinity of Christ. There was a, a sermon I think you gave on the Canaanite woman. Um, and so you can't preach it here. We don't have time. I'm not going to give you the 20 minute version. Right. But I'll say this. There were, there were parts of that uh, taken totally out of context, and okay. people need to know that. And I right. am happy to send people the full thing. Um, but um, I, I, you know, we say in our creeds, "Very God of Very God, fully human, right? Fully human and divine." Um, w- what I love about that scripture was it was the very first, only time in scripture that Jesus changes his mind. Right, and we don't think about Jesus changing mind, but God changes God' mind too throughout Scripture. Right, uh, you know, think about what God did with Nineveh. Right, Jonah was all upset because God changed God's mind. Um, but that script, that talk, was quoted out of context to really fuel this, you know, um, dissent in the church. So much so that I needed a bodyguard for 18 months Mm -hmm. because people were so angry at what they thought I said. Mm -hmm. Um, So no, I very much believe that, you know, God became one of us in Jesus, fully human. Mm -hmm. You know, we we learn early on, you know, at 12, you know, Jesus continued to grow in stature and grace, right? And so if Jesus can grow and change, even as Jesus is fully human and fully God, can't we? Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus models for us. And how many people are so afraid of change that they had to lift that out of context? That's my question.
0: I did not know my apportionment dollars went to go pay for a bodyguard for 18 months. Yeah, It's,
2: it's unfortunate that she had to... She felt the need to. I mean, if people were, I'm sure people were threatening her, but if she felt the need to to have to have a bodyguard, that's that's unfortunate. But,
0: well, what were your takeaways from this? What do you think is emblematic about it? Um, Well, I appreciate that she actually
2: addressed it, and and because most people like say something and then just go on Mm -hmm. and forget about it and don't ever don't ever say anything about it. So I'm I'm glad that she addressed that. That she actually believes allegedly. Well, I say allegedly. She said specifically that she does believe in the divinity of Christ. Um, Did she say that in there? She said that he's fully human, full, fully man, fully God. So well, she she affirmed the creeds.
0: Well, I heard her turn to the creeds and then affirm the fully human part.
2: She she definitely went in on the fully human part a couple of times. Um, uh, but I, I, for me, I, t- I took it away that she actually believes believes that. I could have interpreted that wrong, obviously you you saw it in a different light.
0: So if it had been me and I did believe in the divinity of Christ, I would have camped out on that for a minute. But she camped out on the fully human part and said he changed his mind and that's what he models for us.
2: Yeah, uh, I don't
0: know. I, I, I would like to hear her talk more explicitly about if she does confess the divinity of Christ and what that means to her. It, because there are a lot of people on the left who will confess that Christ was divine, but they don't believe that he's any more divine than me or you. They're, they believe that that we're all divine in some sense. We're we're, we're we're God's image bearers.
2: True. Yeah, it would be nice if she went into more detail. It's probably should be a whole video, but this is in the context of, like, all of these lay people that are
0: sympathetic to her point of view asking her these random, like, questions. Like, so it should be, like... You know, practice this, uh, walk a mile in someone's moccasins, you know. Um, You've got a scenario where formal charges have been filed against you. There have been articles written about it. It's been a thing. You've finally, you've you've got an audience to just say, yes, audience, I do confess that Christ is divine, and I, I don't think that the things I said are at odds with that, you know. She didn't say anything like that. She said it was taken out of context where... I mean that anything that doesn't look at the whole 20 minute context is technically taking it out of context but it's like what they do with Project Veritas where they release the snippets that are most incriminating and they say well it's edited video and then they release the full video and they say it's still deceptively edited yeah. you know it's just it's an easy way to not engage the content of it and then but she does reconfirm the thing that is theologically problematic here which is that Christ Jesus changed his mind well, what do you what do you see that as a? That, okay, so she she said two different two
2: different things there. The one that I have issue with is that God the Father changed his mind. It doesn't necessarily bother me that Jesus, when he was incarnate on Earth, changed his mind. The previous one bothers me that God changed his mind, in and I right realize it. it says that in the Bible, but uh, we can get into that. But I would I would see that as we perceive that he changed his mind.
0: Well, we shouldn't get into that because we don't have time for it, but Robert Barnes and I talked about it in the interview, and he talked about classical Christian understandings of, yes, Jesus grew and aged physically, but that does not imply any kind of spiritual Gnostic going from level to level or anything, and that's not what's modeled for us. There's there's the fullness of knowledge that the divine Logos has always uh, occupied, and then the Father also, you know... She brings up Nineveh. I mean, the classic example is with Moses on the mountaintop whenever he's saying, I'm just going to kill them all and start over with you and Moses' reasons with him. Right. But that's the point at which historical Christian doctrine is really needed to navigate these things. Otherwise, we do have a God who changes his mind, and that would be a terror to us, because then you can't rely on the Bible.
2: Well, they're, God they're fine can... with
0: that, like, that, that idea, if God can change his mind, then that guy...
2: Whatever's written in the Bible doesn't really matter if God can change his mind.
0: Yeah, that fits a short-sighted, liberal understanding of God, uh, the theology. But in actuality, I mean, that would be... If God has the power of judgment and condemnation, and can and will exercise that, then if he is changing the deal at any given point in time, then that's terrifying for us. Oh, yeah, no, that's that's not good. <laughs> no, but liberals just say, no, no, he wouldn't do that. And you're going, well, why? You know, Because God is love. Well... Know. Uh you just said he can change. <laughs> <You know? laughs> what if? So I, I think it's an unsustainable position to hold. Um, but there are just so many signifiers through that just one section you gave us that uh whether it be at the bottom left, she hers, signaling. Far well, left, yeah, in the gods,
2: gods God self, the pronouns I did. Yeah, I was gonna bring that up and I completely not using the masculine yeah.
0: Uh, pro- yeah, she's uh misgendering God yeah. who has told us. Anyway, yeah, that's it's, it's uh, well, is, is there any connection point uh, to clip the, the second so the clip? First you gave one, me on? No, no, that okay. one's
2: just a uh, let's address that because you, it was brought up in one of your other Right videos, on. So, yeah. She actually,
0: so yeah, yeah, let's put a link to the Robert Barnes interview on Re- this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay.
2: the the third clip here we've got here, uh, is um, she is asked a question about um, whether she's breaking the rules. Um, that the church has. And then she goes on to explain like, well, I'm not really breaking the rules. The church changed the rules. So we'll, we'll go into that one. That's clip three. I'm so excited.
0: Okay. um,
2: This is a delicate one, but it's one that needs to be answered. It's uh, the question that comes up uh, that people seem to be upset about is they feel sometimes the, that you Bishop Karen have broken the rules, uh, broken your ordination vows by not upholding the book of discipline regarding this human sexuality issue in marriage.
4: How do you answer those accusations? Mary, thank you for asking that question. You know, I had my call to ministry when I was 11 years old. At 11, I heard God say, this is what I want of you. Hmm. And since I was 11, I began preparing for ministry in the United Methodist Church. At every step of the way, my call was affirmed, not only by the community, but within me. At 16, I preached my first sermon and began working in a church. At 18, I was a student pastor. I went to seminary aware of all I wanted to soak up so I could be the best pastor I could in the United Methodist Church. And at every step of the way, my local church, my district board of ordained ministry, the Conference Board of Ordained Ministry, the DSs I worked with, the the bishops, they all affirmed, they saw that call in me that I possessed the gifts and graces. But suddenly the church changed its rules. The church changed its rules. My call didn't change. The church changed its rules. And in spite of the church changing its rules, God didn't change my call. And and people continue to see that call in me and they see the fruits of the spirit through in that. And so when people say, well, you broke the rules, you know, the Holy Spirit has been guiding my life. The Holy Spirit keeps keeps drawing me in. Um, uh, There is no other denomination that I'm called to serve in. And I've heard people say, well, you know, why couldn't you have waited till the rules change? The Holy Spirit doesn't wait for rules to change. Read the scriptures, right? The, the Holy Spirit shows up and in spite of our best rules, expands who's in and who's out. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I I have to say it's I'm here because of the Holy Spirit and because the community saw that I possessed the gifts to serve. This denomination. Mm, that's such a good point. Great answer. Thank you very much, Bishop.
2: So you're gonna have to explain that one to me with a rule thing, because I've only been a United Methodist for, what, two, two years now? Um, so I just wasn't raised in the church. I, it was my understanding that um, that was always, it was always prevented for a, an openly homosexual um, person to uh, not be ordained. I, I, I mean, it's been recently an issue, obviously, but uh, I thought that was always a, a preventing um, aspect yeah. when it comes to ordination.
0: But. Well, I know for a fact at the very first general conference that the United Methodist Church had, we established our incompatibility language around homosexuality, so I really wish that they had said, hey, Bishop, could you clarify this? Because uh, she just flat out says that they changed the rules while she was... In the UMC, and I, I, I don't know what year she was born or that she, she said she received her call. I once um, did pastoral counseling for another United Methodist pastor, female, who insisted that she had also received a call, but she had been cheating on her husband with another, uh, actually a woman, in her church, and then she was not even serving her church. She was driving to where I was hundreds of miles away. Mm. Eventually, she was fired, and she confronted her bishop on the floor of annual conference for uh, not validating her call. So I just think it's, um, I think it's poor reasoning, and it's like a, an emotional appeal um, to say, you know, here I received my call and mm-hmm. I, I felt it, and it's been validated. You know, that's not really what's at question. What's a question here is, are you in faithful covenant? You know, so she's saying, I think she's saying, I was in faithful covenant. Then they change the covenant, and then she's saying, I can faithfully participate before waiting for them to change the covenant, because that's how the Holy Spirit works. She was born in 58. 1958. So she would have turned 11 right as the denomination was established. Yeah. So I, I just don't find that... That doesn't seem like an honest answer to me. Um it's just weird. But uh, also it's theologically problematic for the same reason as what we talked about before. When your understanding of God is that He's constantly changing and that the deal is constantly changing, then what you set up is, um, well, it, it's, it's, a, it's a neo-Gnosticism where like, there are just special illuminaries that are differ- discerning the changing will of God, and the, the task of a person is not to adhere to a historic Christian doctrine... But to find their different luminaries that they can then affix themselves to, and maybe even become one of their own, which is just a very different religion than the one that Christ died to build, even if they're doing it in His name. So it's, I don't hear historic classical Christian doctrine as Oliveto's speaking, and it's just it's a, it's one thing to say that through the new covenant established in Christ Jesus. The, the, the understanding of what it meant to be part of God's elect changed from just being one of the Hebrews, a child of Abraham, to being, in a new sense, a child of Abraham, a child of the promise, uh, one who have received the Holy Spirit and been born again and regenerated, and, and that's all for all nations. But that's very different from saying the Holy Spirit has this tendency throughout history to enter into covenant communities and expand them. That's a very different thing to say, and I, I don't think that that is, I would not agree with that. I, I don't think that that's something you could just throw out there and everybody is expected. To, oh, yeah, yeah, that's obvious. You yeah. Know? Um, anything else to say about that that clip?
2: Um, I don't think so. You, you got it all.
0: Okay. Uh, the only other thing I'd add about Bishop Olavito is in Mount Sky area, um, apparently there are churches that are interested in disaffiliation, but she and her administration will not tell them how much it will cost them to leave until they already take the vote and go through all the process, and only at that point will they give the financial information. Yeah, that's not that's not cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, very, I should say allegedly it has been alleged. I okay. I, uh, I haven't seen that in print um, from her office. I have seen it in print from people in her conference. All right. Uh, this next one. What's the setup? So these next two
2: are from Bishop Connie Shelton. She is in the southeastern jurisdiction um, in the North Carolina annual conference. She has been a bishop only since November of last year. Yeah. 22. yeah, yeah. Um So this this first one is just a weird theological thing that I was like, that's I've never heard that before. That's odd that you would apply that specific scripture to us. Um, So that's the first clip.
0: Okay, uh, let's see that. I I don't know what you're talking about.
3: It's time we have the same mind as Christ, who, as Philippians 2 describes, emptied himself. It's time we collectively empty ourselves. We have an amazing future before us. Let's celebrate being a big tent church with a clear mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world
0: so I didn't even understand what she. So she's saying that when we are emptying ourselves, as Saint Paul talks about in Philippians, mm-hmm.
4: you so know, when,
0: Christ emptied Himself on the cross. You have this canonic... Yes. But she's saying when we're doing that, that's when we drop sexual moral morality we, we standards.
2: Should, essentially, what what I took it as, um, and I could have, I could be. Um, Understanding it different than how she said it, but it sounded like we should essentially just forget all of we know, all that we know about certain things that the homosexuality thing, specifically, Um, but forget all of these these historical things that that we know as uh, as Christians and what the the church has taught for thousands of years. We should we should empty ourselves of all of that stuff, like Jesus emptied himself. Yoda instructing
0: Luke. You must unlearn what you have. Exactly. Learned. Yeah. That's yeah. how you took it. That's how. I exactly wonder if that's how she meant it.
2: That's that's what it sounded like to me. See, I don't know how you can take it as soon as I saw it that else, video,
0: though. I thought you were gonna have the clip where she's telling conservatives they just need to get up and leave the
2: church. Well, that's next. I
0: say. Oh, that's that the last. next one. <laughs> is,
2: is that from this one? Uh, that's that's from the same video. Yeah. Okay. That's the ending of that video. So if okay. you don't have anything else on that, we'll we'll go. But yeah, let's watch directly it directly into the next one.
3: No more vilification. No more demonization. Will we trust one another's convictions? If not, then it's time for those with mean-spirited arrogance to move on and quit causing chaos in the meantime. When the United Methodist Church emerges from General Conference in 2024, may the Holy Spirit overwhelm us with a spirit of generosity toward one another so that the world is captivated by the countercultural love we bear. I don't have all the answers, but I am called to this sacramental work to rebuild trust so we can make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. And it's going to take humility, courage, and discernment. I'm Connie Mitchell Shelton.
0: Yeah, I'd seen that. I guess I saw the whole thing, and I just—when she started talking theology, I I have this terrible tendency in my brain just to be like, you don't mean the same things that Mm -hmm. I do by that. So you had more patience for—but, okay, so that clip began with, it's time for us to trust each other's what?
3: No more vilification. No more demonization. Will we trust one another's convictions?
0: Will we trust one another's convictions? Is that— I mean, I'm just thinking of, like, the believe all women thing, you know, just like— Yeah, it's
2: like, whose convictions are you—like, because I feel like conservatives are convicted about the homosexuality thing, but we're—they wouldn't say
0: that we should trust each other's convictions on that. Or they they might say, you can have your convictions, they just can't be imposed on me and mine, you know, so make room for me. We had the one church plan at General Conference 2016, and that was essentially supposed to— Live and let live. If you're a liberal clergy, you can perform gay marriages. You can be gay. If you're conservative, you don't have to be gay, and you don't have to marry gay people. We can we can all be under the same umbrella together. And I think that's that's what liberals would at least, most would outwardly say. Like, I'm not going to rob you of your convictions, but you can't make me share your convictions.
2: Well, I feel like that's how it starts. Like,
0: <laughs> that's sure, the slippery they, they slope that. fallacy. Yeah, TJ. yeah, yeah. I, I don't think too slippery slope's a fallacy. Yeah, you lay groundwork theologically for tolerance, and then whenever you have someone who is not tolerant in the way that you are, you become intolerant of the intolerant. Well, if, if, if the idea is that it's it's hateful
2: and bigoted to not ordain openly homosexual people, yeah, and you're hateful and a bigot, why would you want to be in fellowship with those people? Yeah. Like... Yeah. you're just going to let them continue to be hateful and bigoted, and
0: uh, yeah, and this potentially cause people death. The Olivito thing, because when you have a sense of honoring covenant bodies, you know, a covenant body says, "Here's what we're about. Here's what we believe." Um, why would Bishop Olivito or other leftist, progressive people elevate themselves to the position of bishop over an organization they don't agree with? You know, and she says, "I'm not called to any other denominational body." First, how do you know that? Um, but secondly, uh, it, it seems to me that yes, you are, if you if you don't conform to the doctrinal standards of the body you're trying to lead, then you should not be in leadership. I mean, that's just a basic way of thinking. So yeah,
2: it's a weird, uh, I, I grew up in the United Methodist Church, so I'm always United Methodist and I can't be anything. like that's that's above everything else, like rather than, oh, I'm a Christian first and foremost.
0: Well, there's that there's also like, um, um, the guy the Alpha preacher, he says, uh, being born in the United States no more makes you a Christian than being born in a McDonald's would make you a hamburger, you know? The, and his, his point is that identity is something that you intentionally assent to and are conformed by an external reference source to, to the image of that. So to say, I am a Christian because I have been in the Church, and so therefore whatever I do is a Christian thing to do. That's that's and, and to similarly say, I was raised in the United Methodist Church. I've always been a part of it. Therefore, whatever I do is a valid exple- expression of the United Methodist faith. That ties into Bishop Shelton's thing here saying, we have to trust each other's convictions, and what she's making a bid for is, we have to get rid of any kind of discriminating critical thinking. You know, that's what critical thinking is. It's saying, this is like this, this is not like this. This fits, this doesn't, you know. And that sort of way of thinking, what I would just say, elemental critical thinking, is what's resulting in this division. And so there's a, a flagrant from the top saying, stop thinking, and stop having convictions if they contradict mine and my tribes. So that I think that's all it's really saying. It's like when Bickerton said, it's time for us to have a new conversation, what he's really saying is, shut up. You know, yeah, yeah. I don't like what you're saying. And similarly, they're saying... Um, you know what, uh, when you're bringing up these scriptures and what's in the Book of Discipline and you're highlighting the fact that I'm not obeying it and I'm not making other people obey it, um, you're demonizing me. You're vilifying me. And uh, I would just say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just laying it out how it is. And she would just say, you know what, it's time, well, what she does in this, it's time for you to go. Yeah. It's time for you. And so in that case, uh, I'd seen another video she put out earlier where... It was just very clear. Yeah, Bishop Shelton, it'd be really cool if she was like, okay, it's time for you guys to go. Let's apply some conference reserves. Anyone who wants to go can go. That is not what Bishop Connie Shelton is doing. Rather, she's said pretty much, um, man, I wish I'd—I I, should have put more. Because she, she says in this other clip— um, you know, people need to stop sowing division, and they need to stop taking other churches. They should just leave their church and go to some other church that's already left. And so she is very inhospitable and hostile to conservatives. It really is just a black and white. Either you're with us, or you need to get the heck out of here. And um, I really feel for people in, uh, I think she's what, Western North Carolina? Uh,
2: it's just North Carolina is what it said.
0: She's a, No, she's in the eastern part. North Carolina. She's a North Carolina bishop uh Raleigh um, Episcopal area, Raleigh, North Carolina, which I'm not. So Carter is one of those, and that's where a, a big lawsuit just got dismissed, uh, 56 churches. But I don't think that's hers. I think hers—well, I shouldn't speak out of my depth. Anyway, she and Carter, if you're in North Carolina, either one, uh, you're on a hostile place. So, um, all right, if you haven't read that article that I referenced at the beginning, you might you might read that after having watched some of these bishops. If you know of other bishops— or uh, conference leadership or um, people in the general boards and agencies speaking in these ways in a hostile way towards conservatives, kind of showing their hand as to what kind of leaders we're going to have in this denomination going forward, go ahead and send them to me. I'm at plainspokenpod at gmail.com. And uh, just be in prayer for these bishops that their hearts are changed to be more uh, understanding of conservatives and the concerns that we carry Uh, Pray for people under their leadership and authority um, that they are not trampled underfoot. All right, TJ, anything else we got to say before we go? I don't think so. All Uh, of the... uh, Well, I say that and I'm going to say something. Do it,
2: yeah. Um, Just all of the the videos will be linked in the description. Um, And if you want... For whatever reason, if they take them down, um, we'll have them... The full videos... um, on our server somewhere, so just yeah. keep them just in case. Uh, so <laughs> they're not
0: going to take it down. <laughs> Nobody cares about the Methodists, anyways.
2: So. That's this is yeah not not in any way, shape or form is this to demonize the bishops and and it's just to kind of bring light as to to what they're saying in different annual conferences. Um, it's not like oh we got them like it's just a here's here's what they're saying. It's problematic. Here's why it's problematic.
0: Yeah. So. Well, and I'm glad you my I meant to say that at the beginning, like. I'm a local licensed pastor in a hick town in northeastern Oklahoma. You're, you're laity. Like, this is not... We are church leadership, high-minded uh, high, high minded, uh, theological... This is just like common sense, critical thinking. Here's, here's how it rubs us. Here's why it would be a problem for people like us. It's not... Uh, we're not elevating ourselves into a position where we can uh, judge the bishops. Uh, we're just highlighting where the disconnect is within the United Methodist Church in a way that I, I hope is helpful for people who are uh, representing conferences. Uh, you know, you should just know whenever you say things like this, you present yourself in this way. Here's how simpletons in the stakes um, hear you and, and why that might not be helpful. So, um, yeah, if anyone thought that I was uh, trying to elevate myself or TJ uh, to the level of bishops, uh, <laughs> we are we are under no illusions of where we stand. So I have not been to seminary. I don't aspire to be a bishop, so it's not. (laughs) Right, yeah. Okay, well, uh, we hope it was helpful. If you think this was helpful, share it with somebody. If you don't, then uh, forgive us and pray for us. Uh, We appreciate you spending your time with us. Have a a good rest of the Holy Week and uh, a blessed start to the Christian Passover uh, season. God bless you.